0: Welcome, thanks for joining us today. If this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you and say thanks for checking us out. Certainly hope it's not your last time. And if this is your spiritual home and you've joined us, we're certainly glad that you're part of our online experience. We want to give a great shout out again to the team that helped serve the meal last week at St. Luke's Point of Grace just a fun evening, right? So we served about 60 people, and I always love seeing just the interaction in our community between adult volunteers and, and the kids, and just the beauty of what it means to be the kingdom, and even love the end of the video there as they're carrying out the materials that we'll be taking back in a few months to do it all over again. But in all these things, it's about being the kingdom, and I'm excited for a conversation that is being furthered here in our region Uh, with those that serve our children through uh, job and family service, the child protection services, through the juvenile court, through our local law enforcement. Uh, There was an incredible two days of training that I had the privilege of being a part of, of just talking about how do we create better systems in our community to meet the needs of those that are disconnected and broken, particularly the families that find themselves working through addiction and trying to find a sense of wholeness. And would ask you to pray for those that are in authority over us that we've elected specifically within our judicial system as they begin to map out a new way, a better way of meeting families where they are and coming alongside to help people find wholeness. As we think as we are as a church, continuing to pursue what God would have for us in our 204th year here in Mansfield, There's a lot of new opportunities that we need to be uh, praying through and giving consideration to. And so would again ask you to pray for those items too. We are in our second week here in this series. Last week, we talked about just the idea of what it means to bear witness. One thing in particular that comes against us, our sense of fear, and then the boldness that we should have as we lay out the hope of the gospel, of what it means to come and see what Jesus has done and to meet him, and then to be able to take that out to the world by going and telling. And this week, what I want to look at specifically is this idea of our words, uh, how the power of our words can have a tremendous impact. As we think about the power of words, I'm reminded of uh, an amazing author, uh, Ann Vonskamp, who says that we should only speak words that make souls stronger. That we should only speak words that make souls stronger. I want to unpack that a little bit here as we go through by looking at some scripture, three scripture passages I want us to ponder as we think about the impact of our words. The first verse to give consideration is Proverbs 15.1 which says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Now you think about where we've been over the last couple of years, right? Uh, Right now, our culture, our society, it seems like at a global level, uh, there's a lot of anger going on, a lot of wrath, a lot of things where people are just not really happy. And it seems like there's a lot of us versus them and so I think this proverb probably is very appropriate uh, right now in this moment. And yet I want to offer a verse that may at, at first seem contradictory, but as we unpack it here, I think it'll make more sense. And it comes to us out of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26, where the apostle Paul says, "Be angry and do not sin." Now, think about that for a moment. I mean, it's interesting that is a contrast to Proverbs 15:1. And then to to sort of pull these together with this idea that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Now, we're going to pay attention to that word gentle, but we'll come back to that in a moment. He says, "Gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For his yoke is easy, and his burden is light." As we mentioned last week, the dumpster fire that seems to be burning in our culture I was reminded by someone who had shared that they had seen pictures of uh, porta potties burning, and that those porta potties uh, were the scent came from that fire. If there could be a scented candle that represents our time period, it would be that. And so it's because it's been a couple of incredible years that have been incredibly difficult. And so when you think about just where we've been, just all the disconnect that's been in our culture, this idea of how do we bear witness to our neighbors about the hope of the gospel, it's going to take an understanding of our words and, and how we live those words out with each other to help people come and see and go and tell. And at the same time, I think many have suggested that we're living in the most unique of times, And yet I want to suggest at the same time that when we look at history, uh, we look at it from the helicopter view or even a little higher, the 30,000-foot view, just where life has come from and where life is going, that we can see that all the messiness that we currently are experiencing, that it's not changed much since the beginning. That when we hit the rewind button back to the beginning of Scripture, we find it's the same thing there, that it it began in the garden uh, right with Adam and Eve. And before uh, we're even into the story very far, Adam's already backpedaling after he's, uh, they've sinned and trying to blame all of that's gone wrong on, on Eve and even trying to blame God. And then not too far after that experience uh, in the garden, then we have the story of Cain and Abel where the, the jealousy takes place between these two brothers and Cain kills his brother. And it, we see that the brokenness of our culture has been since that very day and that all of us as human beings have had to push through the difficulties of life that can uh, make life complicated. Then when you think about scripture and what it tells us, the entirety of scripture, I think all but two of the the books in the Bible were written by somebody who is either a person who was enslaved or who had been in jail for their faith or who was literally running uh, for their life from people who were trying to kill them or hurt them. We can see that violence and aggression has been something that's just part of who we are as human beings. And I think it's gotten amplified in these last couple of years because of things like social media, because of things that like, like the Internet that's a powerful tool. Uh, but it, these platforms, if you will, as they call them, they, they become very easy for us to express our, our sense of anger and our sense of frustration. And one of the things that comes to mind when we think about this is, Uh, How Fred Rogers, you know, Mr. Rogers, uh, the movie that came out uh, a few years ago that was the retelling of his story about how popular he's become, even though he's sort of a nerd, right? He wears his cardigan. He's soft-spoken. And he actually had a pretty low-budget show that was on PBS that was called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And all of a sudden, he's become a cultural icon. I think one of the reasons why Fred Rogers has become popular in our day is because, as this movie with Tom Hanks sort of played out, it's about seeing a man who everybody was drawn to, that everybody who saw the film loved the film, which told his story. And I think there's also maybe something that we can learn from his renewed popularity, and that's that there's a many of us that are longing for a world that was like that, a world in which, like Mr. Rogers, uh, that, that we see what we would call the fruits of the spirit, that we see the idea of gentleness and the idea of kindness and the idea of the things that Jesus just used to describe himself, right? There is a sense of humility of heart and, and all these things it seems like right now in our culture are very much in short supply. And in that, I think many of us are are longing for a return to those kinds of virtues, as we call them, to a way of how people treated each other. I think that's what people are looking for coming out of this uh, global pandemic. Again, this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, which comes to us out of Galatians chapter 5, where Paul lays out uh, the Spirit uh, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control that all these words all, all these things that we call the fruit of the spirit they are a way for us to be uh, countercultural if you will to be people who are different by how they give life when we use these words and and what i mean is that it's not that we're against our culture but actually that if we lean into these words they are helps us to be for our culture to be able to come alongside our neighbors that are hurting, and a way for us to share and treat people the same way that Jesus chose to treat us when we were standing against him, right? This idea that Paul helps us to see that, that God, how did he demonstrate his love towards us? There is a Bible verse that talks about how God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were still good people, uh, no, wait, it doesn't say that, Or does it say that while we're still loving people? Or or no, it doesn't say, or faithful people? No, or believing in him kinds of people? No, it says what? While we were still sinners, while we were still acting as God's enemies, while we were still doing these terrible things in our hearts towards God, that's when he sent Jesus to die for us, to redeem us, to rescue us. Scriptures tell us that God shows us his own love that he would give himself for his enemies so that we could become his friends. Not just his servants, but his friends. That we would actually become family and that we would be known as his sons and daughters. So when you think about how that's how God treats us, that we're now invited to go out into a world that is not very welcoming and to love our neighbors, right? Jesus says, go and do likewise after he's washed his disciples' feet. And so I think this phenomenon with Mr. Rogers is is something that's sort of amazing because he gives us what we're looking for. Uh, One of the things that he gives us is this idea of empathy. And what is empathy? Well, basically it's being able to crawl into somebody else's skin to understand them, to have compassion towards their unique hurts and hardships and struggles and pressures. Now that's part of this conversation I had last week with our court officials and with our our justice community, if you will, with all the various players, to begin to understand why it is people are addicted, to begin to understand how do we as a community come to meet people where they are. I know during the week I've had the privilege of walking alongside some incredible men and women who are working through how to be better moms and dads and who, yes, are also pushing through addiction and and trying to find recovery. But it's interesting how, in in so many different ways, their story has been complicated because of what they experienced growing up. In some cases, they didn't know their biological father. In some cases, even in their adopted fathers were were very complicated relationships and how that then ends up uh, really sort of train wrecking uh, families in such an incredibly bad way. And so one of the things we do when we understand this idea of empathy is that we can get a better perspective on how best to meet people where they are. I love this idea, and I'm not sure exactly where it came from to be able to give real attribution, but but basically to be reminded that every person that we might run into is fighting a battle. It's something that we need to take into account, that when we bump into somebody who may be mean and uh, and may not be the most pleasant to be around, that there's some, there's some things in their world that is complicated who they are and how they see themselves and creates a sense of insecurity and that they've been traumatized. And maybe you've heard this phrase before that hurt people hurt people. That's, that's really sort of interesting here. And so it's people like Mr. Rogers who come into our world and they bring us the fruit of the spirit Uh, Now, one of the things we know about Fred Rogers is that he was a follower of Jesus. We know that he believed in Jesus. In fact, he was even uh, credentialed as a pastor. And so Mr. Rogers shows up in the world and he brings a whole new message in a sort of different kind of way. And it's a way that brings a different kind of culture and it's actually one that gives life and it actually brings about goodness. Now, one of the things I've learned about Fred Rogers is that he was someone who made a commitment to treat everyone with the same kind of dignity that he believed Jesus treats every kind of person. It's amazing. He would give unbroken eye contact to whoever he was with, that people actually would get annoyed with him and frustrated with him because he would always be late to meetings because he would just be completely fixated on the person that was in front of him, the person he was having a conversation with. And he respected that person so much that he wanted to honor them that he was always, if you will, unhurried. I'll remind you of the series we leaned into a few months ago about this very fact that we are all too busy. And so Fred Rogers was living this concept out long before uh, we were into this current culture. And it's interesting too that I think uh, Fred Rogers was a a deep listener wanting to, to be able to have empathy with everyone. And it's interesting, I learned this, that his his favorite words, his favorite three words were this, I like you. Now, I don't know about you, but I've not heard those words very often in these last few months and even last couple years. I mean, how many times have you heard those words, I like you, even in the last decade? And yet it's interesting that Fred Rogers, in his life, took every opportunity he could to look someone in the eye and not just say, I love you. Uh, Because you can love somebody and not like them. You can uh, say that you respect them, uh, but you can really not uh, be warm towards them, right? Uh, But when you hear the words, I like you, it it means that you matter. It means that you have dignity and worth. It means that you're you're important to me. And so it's interesting that Fred Rogers uh, looked for every opportunity to tell people about those three words, whether it was through his television show through the, the marvels of then uh, TV, uh, PBS, or whether it was to the people he was sitting with and talking to. So in a practical sort of way, Fred Rogers lived out that first verse I read to you, A Gentle Answer Turns Away Wrath. Now, we'll just look at something here from uh, the writer of the Gospel of John, uh, which is a beautiful book to read, and I, and I love John's contrarianness, if that's a, a word, because we have the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which you can basically read stories side by side, but John takes a whole different track. And so it's interesting, we also know that John considered himself to be uh, one of Jesus' closest friends because he's always saying that to us, right? That he was the, the disciple who Jesus loved most. And it's interesting, what John records for us in his Gospel is what what is called the seven I am statements, where Jesus says these, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door for the sheep, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, I am the way and the truth and the life, I am divine. That's the seven I am statements that tell you a whole lot about who Jesus is, what he was like, and who he can be for each of us, right? Right? But it's interesting in Matthew 11, there's one more I am statement that Matthew, who is a tax collector, right? And what do we know about tax collectors? Well, they weren't very well liked, were they? But Matthew knew that Jesus not only loved him, but he also knew that Jesus liked him. And it's interesting that Matthew felt empowered just like the beloved disciple John did to write a whole accounting of Jesus' life in what we call the Gospel of Matthew, it's, it's the first book in the New Testament. But what's interesting is it's in Matthew 11 that Jesus says, I am gentle. I am gentle and humble in heart. If you think about what Jesus offers us here, and if you want to know what God is like in a world that's sort of upside down and hostile, and again, first century Jerusalem isn't much different than the time in which we find ourselves now, with just all the secularization of our culture, we simply hear him say, I am gentle and humble in heart. So we see why then Mr. Rogers becomes the kind of icon he does for us because I think Mr. Rogers teaches us more about who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. What's interesting here is I wanna look at another emotion that comes out and it's from the second verse I read. Now, I wanna be clear, this isn't a contradiction. In fact, the gentleness and kindness of Jesus actually helps to complete it and helps to, to fuel it and it's this idea of the emotion of anger. So hang on here for a moment. So what's interesting here is that the impulse that's behind this gentleness and kindness of Mr. Rogers and of Jesus Christ and of so many other people has been driven in part by the emotion of anger, things like grief and like sadness and like hurt. Because, you see, these emotions, we call them negative emotions, but negative doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. And so let's pull this apart a little bit further. Drawing on the good work of Pastor Scott Sauls, who's at Christ Presbyterian in Nashville, a recent book that he released called Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in the Age of Us Against Them, he said that, that the most curious question that he's gotten about his, this book is from people who haven't read the book yet, but they've looked at the table of contents and it's, and it's the title of chapter five, which says, gentle people do anger well. Well, that's an idea, Right. What could that possibly be about? Well, basically, he wrestles with how can anger be compatible with gentleness? And so he says that there's a clue here when we look at this verse from Ephesians because Ephesians is actually quoting a place in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament that says exactly the same thing. Be angry and do not sin. Now, there are some translations that say, in your anger, do not sin. If you go back to the original Greek, the Greek text says, It unmistakably says, be angry. It's actually a command and do not sin. And so it's interesting, there is a way to lose your cool without losing your character, Scott says. I mean, this is a way to take a negative emotion, like anger, and actually use it for good. Now, what do I mean by that? The book of Romans puts it this way, says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, those things go together. Part of hating what is evil is basically clinging to what is good and part of clinging to what is good is to hate what is evil because you see evil things are things that attack good things evil things are things that attack what god's purposes are he says whatever is lovely and excellent and praiseworthy basically evil wants to undermine that that evil wants to attack that that evil wants to wipe that out that evil as it runs, wants to be like a wildfire against all of God's purposes. And that all that is right and true and good and beautiful, all that's excellent and praiseworthy and kind and gentle, that evil wants to train wreck that. It wants to destroy them. So we need to hate all of that in order to defend and protect and advance what is good. I know this is kind of crazy, but keep leaning in here. Maybe try, let me try it like this, that it's, anger is a lot like fire. There are basically two kinds of fire, right? There's the kind that we see in the mountains of California uh, that rages through and destroys property and homes and even can kill people. And what it does to an entire community to take beautiful things and destroy them, a raging fire can wreak havoc on all of those things. But it's a righteous fire that actually can help us, right? It's the righteous fire that I use in my grill when I get ready to cook some meat. It basically heats up the meat so that the bacteria is out of the food and, and it's good for me to eat and consume, and and we don't get sick from it. So this idea of a righteous fire, it, it also helps to keep us warm when it's cold out. And when we live in this part of the country, yeah, it's been, been what it's been right lately. Uh, and so a righteous fire can create a lovely, beautiful relationship that gives a, a beautiful thing around the dinner table if it's in our fireplace or when we feel the warmth of the furnace. you See, there's a beautiful thing that comes from that 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 can come from fire. And so there's the raging version on the one hand that's completely destructive or that we need to confront and then there's the righteous fire which is where it gives life and is healthy for us to use. We need more of that righteous fire in our life. I want to make a statement about Jesus and it's a statement that uh, I've heard John Eldridge use in his teachings It's a radical statement because there are times when Jesus appears to us as Mother Teresa, and there's times when he appears to us as William Wallace. There's times when he is gentle and he's humble in heart, but we need to see that Jesus wasn't just nice, that he wasn't sort of drippy nice, that he wasn't just a nice guy all the time. In fact, we know that he was kind and he was approachable, and, if you had some issues in your life, we know that he he met you in those moments. But we also know, but we also know when he was met with somebody who was self-righteous or was a bully, that he was in your face. And if you made a habit of hurting other people, or wrecking havoc on a community, that Jesus got pretty angry, and that he got so angry that he flipped over tables. Right? I I think there's things that's made me angry, and but I don't think you're going to see me go out in the community and toss tables over, although there are things that I sort of want to confront, right? Uh, but yet Jesus did that. He, he turned the tables over because he was not happy with what they had done to his temple. And I know that Jesus did that because people were corrupting the worship of God. They, they were looking at the church as a way to make money, as a, as a way to profit off of other people, as a way to direct attention towards things that would profit them instead of towards the goodness and the greatness of God. And then it's interesting here, Jesus actually gets angry at death. In John chapter 11, uh, we see that the actual meaning of the word gets a little bit lost due to our English translation. But it's interesting that we see Jesus looking at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And again, we know that the shortest verse in the Bible comes to us here, where Jesus wept. We know that it also tells us that, as I understand it, the literal translation of that moment of the of that experience for him is that he was furious that he was angry as a bull if you will uh, that he was not happy why because of what death had done because of what death does to people who are created in the image of a holy god and what death does to communities it's a terrible thing jesus also got angry at the scribes and the pharisees those that were sort of trained with credentials that where they were using their idea of religion to make themselves more powerful and to put other people in their place and to, to hold people uh, in a sense of shame and to treat people in angry and, and difficult ways. And it's interesting that Jesus really opened up on them with a whole slew of words. He said, what, you're hypocrites, you are whitewashed tombs, you're blind guides, you're fools, you're sons of the devil, you're negligent, you're merciless, you're greedy, you're wicked, he says. Here's the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who is gentle, and meek, and yet he's also the lion. He is fierce and strong. Paul tells us in Romans that he also is severe sometimes. Paul says, consider the kindness and the severity of God. He is gentle and humble toward the weak, but he is also fierce defender and protector of the weak. One of my favorite stories in the scriptures comes out of Luke chapter seven, where there's a woman who is a, a prostitute She barges into a dinner party that has been hosted by the religious leaders of the day, by the scribes and by the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees have also invited Jesus to this party, not because they want to show him any kind of kindness or hospitality, but because they're trying to scold him and they want to discredit him and they want to ask him all sorts of gotcha questions, just as they'd like to do with Jesus. And they didn't like even more particularly the idea of the grace of God because they liked rules, they liked control, they, they liked holding their religious ideas on people instead of persuading people to look to God and rest in His love, and they got it all backwards, right? So this woman comes in, and she's unannounced, and she's uninvited, and remember, she is a prostitute, and she uses the tools of her trade, her lips and her perfume, and her hair to wipe Jesus' feet, to anoint Jesus' feet, and then to wipe Jesus' feet. She shows her affection for him and the only way that she knows how. And Jesus, what does he do with that? He graciously receives it. And the religious leaders are really ticked. They're hopping mad. And they start calling this woman all sorts of names like sinner, saying if he knew, if Jesus knew what kind of thing that she was, and if he was a true prophet, they said, he would know that this person is a sinner. But Jesus does what? He says, we're not gonna treat her like a thing. We're going to treat her like a person. We're going to treat her like someone who's been created in the image of a holy God. We're not going to treat her like she doesn't belong. We're going to treat her like she is a person. And while we're talking about her, Jesus all of a sudden turns on them and says, you know, you haven't even offered me the slightest bit of kindness and, and the slightest bit of hospitality. And yet this woman, as she has come in from the very moment, she has expressed nothing but love and affection for me. In other words what's going on here is he's basically saying, you know, for all you that are professionals in this thing called religion, being the pastor and the priest and all that of the day, this this prostitute has just offered a simple how to, a simple clinic for these men on uh, what it's really like to be in a worshipping relationship with God. Because it's all about love, it's all about loving him. And so she has been forgiven much he says. And the way that she has been forgiven has been demonstrated is that now she's become a person who loves much. And you see, that's the impact of being forgiven on a person. If you are aware of how deeply you have been forgiven, you're going to be a person who loves others. Do you see how that's happening here? You've got both the gentleness and the fierceness of Jesus at play at the same time. Because in standing between the religious bullies and this woman, Jesus is essentially saying, If you want to get to her, you're going to have to come through me. And by the way, if you try to go through me, you're going to lose. And so what feels like a fierce confrontation to those religious leaders feels like gentle, caring treatment to the woman that's standing behind him that he is defending. You see, that's what you would call mercy and justice at play. You've got this kindness of God toward her expressed in his severity towards those who are angry and who are basically being a bully to her and trying to take away her humanity. You see how this all works together. Again, Scott Sauls says this, that raging anger attacks people, that righteous anger attacks problems, especially those problems that attack people. C.S. Lewis, who we all know, who is an amazing writer, said in his book, Mere Christianity This, that Christianity is a fighting religion. And he goes on to say that Christianity thinks that God made the world And it also thinks that a great many things have gone wrong with the world that God made and that God insists and insists very loudly on our putting them right again. And he goes on a little bit farther to say, if you read history, you will find that those who did the most for this present world are the ones who thought the most of the next world. So in other words, what C.S. is saying is that the more heavenly minded we are, the more earthly good we're going to be. And that has played out true in the course of our history of a, as a people. When we think about the many things that have been created in our communities, the idea of a hospital, many of the hospitals have, were born out of a desire to bring forth the gospel in a practical way. Or our great universities, many of them, the majority of them, were founded by Christian ministries and lay people. Or the idea of taking care of orphans, or how we abolished the slave trade through William Wilberforce, and then even John Newton, who was a pastor, who wrote the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Or in more recent times, Martin Luther King, and all that he did as a Christian who fought against the whole issue of racial equality and civil rights. For us as a church, for us as a tribe here, not just in Mansfield, but Located as the part of the Muskingum Valley, things that we have accomplished on behalf of the kingdom, the Pots and Pans ministry that we support through a Love in the Name of Christ, good work that has been done consistently over the many years of serving a meal at St. Luke's Point of Grace and meeting our friends and neighbors who are working through issues of, of food poverty. Or we think about the work that was done supporting uh, Compassion International at Christmas time, or the work uh, over the COVID period where. Our friend, Adam McLean, was taking and going into Mexico. And your generosity has come to support our mission in so many different ways. So all these things, we're doing what C.S. Lewis talks about, this idea that basically Christianity is fighting religion. We hate what's evil because what evil does, it robs people of their humanity. We hate evil because it takes from good people, it takes from good places, that evil takes and steals the world that God so loved, and so we are called to hate evil. And so we do good as our response to that when it comes in front of us. Let me come back to Mr. Rogers for a second. Many people are surprised when you read the biography of Fred Rogers to find out that this much about him, that that you learn that behind his gentleness, behind all that he was as a person, and his kind-hearted demeanor was anger and hurt because when he was a young boy, Fred Rogers was bullied for being a person that was overweight. Can you imagine Mr. Rogers being overweight? That's not the guy we saw on TV, was it? But apparently as a child, he went through a season where he was incredibly overweight, and he was mercilessly ridiculed for body image by his friends, by his peers. Not very good friends, were they? And it just cut him so deeply in his heart, and maybe it's the same way that the Pharisees cut to the heart of that prostitute, right? as they started scolding her and shaming her and dehumanizing her with her words. And so Fred Rogers, out of his anger and hurt because of how he was treated, and over the way that so many children were treated, he made a vow to himself that he would do everything he could to protect the dignity of children, that he would do everything that he can with his own power to make sure that children are not made to feel the way he was made to feel when he was a child. That's how the kindness of Fred Rogers was born. That's how God took his wound that was in Fred Rogers' life and it turned him into a healer. I wanna lean in here with these words again from Ann Vonskamp as she reminds us that we should only speak words that make souls stronger. We need to be reminded too that we need to be kind because there's people we're gonna meet today who are fighting battles that we're not aware of, as we bear witness to, to all that Jesus has done, as we come and see and then we go and tell, may we be a people who can become angry about the right things, that our anger would be appropriate, and that we can grieve and we can feel sadness and we can feel hurt, that we can leverage it all to be the kinds of neighbors that bring life and that bring into the world the kind of stuff that Fred Rogers did in the name of Jesus. And so with that, let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your love and your mercy. We're grateful for all that uh, the life of Fred Rogers models for us and even more particularly the life of Jesus. And so may we be a people who uh, understand the words that we say and the life that we can bring to each other in all things. And we just pray it in your strong name together. Amen.